Good morning. Good morning. My first question is this. Was there any epiphanous moment for you in your youth when you fell in love with vocal music? There are several moments. One maybe might be the first was mm -hmm. uh, listening to a recording of Empführung of the Miserai that we got as a present for by chance completely in my family because my family was not at all music or even theater or things like that. And I thought it's very unusual compared to what we are listening on TV or radio. Yes. And say, wow, that's maybe I should just try to sing over the music. And so, and how see. old were you then, Stefan? Maybe 13, 14. Yeah, but, quite early. But there's not much for you in the Entführung aus dem Serai. Not at all. <laughs> and I was frustrated because I couldn't find a way to sing over the voices of, of the male voices, uh -huh. the two tenors and the, the deep bass. Yes. So. I thought, well, it's over. I don't have a voice for that, and I don't care. Well, I was a teenager, so I wasn't very interested anyway <laughs> in the yeah. such things. And then later, it came more and more present, and also I went to a school in Lyon for to study theatre. Uh -huh. And in that school, there were uh, a choir, and the, the theatre teachers told us to join this choir because it's important for an actor to have a vocal technique. Absolutely. And I did. And uh, after a few times, the the conductor of this choir just asked, who is singing like this? That's Come here in front and sing alone. <laughs> it was a nightmare. And, and, and was that the first time you, you really sang before people? Yes. I sang as a child with my sister but at school it was mm -hmm. completely different it was only for fun and this time was very very intimidating and and did you sing um uh, chanson before then piaf as brassens not really but it's the kind of things my parents were listening at home on the radio and, and did you like it yeah i did yes more than the normal pop music on of my teenage time yes yes it's so. interesting I remember, remember the moment when I became hooked. I heard Fischer Diskal and Gerald Moore on the radio performing Die Schöne Müllerin. I just started to learn German and I was hooked for life. I wonder whether there was any one voice that made an impression on you. Yes, well, of course, the first voices I've ever heard were impressive, so mm -hmm. they made a great impression on me like uh, Régine Crespin, Gabriel Baquier, and then José Van Damme, who was very active when I was a student. And they were in the Conservatoire in Lyon, uh, a library with a lot, a lot of CDs with mm -hmm. him. And also a CD I really, really loved was Nozze di Fierro, conducted by Georg Scholti, uh -huh. with Thomas Allen as Conte, and some Margaret Price, maybe, yes, Contessa, no? I can't remember who I was. can't remember. Lucha um, Pop was Susanna, yeah. I think. And anyway, I was so seduced by this particular CD that I, I think I learned the part of Conte before, long before I first sang it. So did you sing along with, with the CD? Did, did you sing Contessa Pedona? I mean, yes, of course. I sang the, on, on, without on actually understanding the, the, the words or the story, but just having fun. How interesting. Well, was there one, any one individual 
who had a particular influence upon you? Not necessarily a singer, a guru-like. Well, of figure. course, the, my my old mentor Ruben Lifshitz. Mm -hmm. uh, I met him in the conservatoire, and basically we worked together 20 years until he died. Um, he he was what he was. He was a pianist, pianist. and he had a quite short but very very high level career in his youth as a solo player mm -hmm. he came at the Wigmore twice in 59 and 61 I think and um, in the early 80s with Eric Tapie this uh, Swiss tenor they created mm -hmm. the opera studio in Lyon mm -hmm. <coughs> because he was in love with languages and poetry and mm -hmm. words basically and he wanted to find a way to put this love of poetry and words into the music. So yeah. he works with singers and uh, he develops his activity of accompanist. And so he accompanied <coughs> you uh, quite a lot in... Not really, actually. Uh, he was teaching mm -hmm. in Conservatoire in Lyon, also in uh, Fondation Royaumont and in different places. And he was... Uh, he was teaching us with uh, another pianist, mm -hmm. and uh, well, he obviously had a great influence on me. Yeah, and did he advise you on things like repertoire or? Oh yes, a lot, a lot. He always adapted repertoire of uh, recitals we did to to the voice and my possibility of the time. Uh -huh. And uh, we started. I remember with uh, I would say easy Debussy, like the the first Verlaine of the program of yesterday. Mm -hmm. the, the Fête Calante. <coughs> no, not this ones. The um, La Mer est plus belle que les cathédrales. Uh -huh. Because yeah. they are quite vocal. Yeah. And also we thought the Horizon Chimérique would be easy because the range, the voice is quite... It's quite... There's nothing. There's no yeah. virtuosity in it. It's not high, it's not low. But we couldn't. It was so, so difficult uh, to enter. Yeah. Yes, but it's something maybe specific to Forêt more than... I think it was written for a, t a tenor, was it the Swiss tenor Ponzerat? He was a baritone, Charles Ponzerat. He, he was a baritone, mm. high baritone. Yeah, I would say my type of voice. Yeah, interesting. And uh, yeah, always he was adapting mm -hmm. a lot of repertoire. When I entered the Conservatoire in Lyon, I was 20, mm -hmm. and uh, the, uh, one of the the directors of the house just told me, you don't have a voice for opera, just sing French songs <laughs> to spend time. And I was so frustrated and, uh, and upset. And then, but Ruben heard it and said, just, we take six months and you will learn and you will see it's, yeah. it's good for you. Well, uh, that brings us very neatly onto opera, because you, Stefan, I think are one of the few <coughs> singers who are equally at home on the operatic mm. stage and the recital stage. I've always thought that all opera singers should sing leader or melody because yes. it teaches you to articulate text. Totally. Yes. And vice versa, that mm. all art song singers should sing opera, else you stand at the piano and you give wonderful interpretation, mm. but very little tone is important to... Yes. How, how, how do you feel on this? Well, Ruben was used to say you must sing uh, opera-like songs and songs like opera, and the to put both repertoire next to each other, it's very very interesting because there are so many bridges you can make through, and 
Well, of course, the main example is Peleas Melisande, mm. and I've sung it quite a lot now. And I'm convinced that if I have, if I had never started with songs, I mm. wouldn't have been able to sing Peleas. Yeah, that is so interesting. And my voice actually wouldn't have developed in the high level uh, yeah. to sing Peleas and this elasticity yeah. that we just get only by singing, let's say, piano and uh, softly. Yeah. Opera, you, you basically give the voice because the auditorium is big, mm -hmm. there is an orchestra, mm -hmm. <laughs> so there is no choice of, often. How, how many different productions of Peleas have you performed? In? I think uh, five different productions plus mm. a few concerts around this. Yeah. Now, what happens if you as the Peleas disagree violently with the mise-en-scene, with the... Well, it never happened. It, it hasn't happened. No. <laughs> well, we never know. No, I, I never had to to disagree violently. Yeah. <laughs> and what happens if you are asked to sing a role um, that you as a human being don't believe in? I remember once that John Vickers cancelled at Covent Garden Tannhäuser, mm -hmm. allegedly because he couldn't see himself as this individual. Do you sometimes say, thank you very much, but um, I don't want to sing this role? Has that ever happened? Yes, it has, uh, with Don Giovanni, actually. I have sung the role 15 years ago, I was young, and I thought, looking at the score, it's easy, but it's not at all, because even when Don Giovanni is not on stage, we're talking about him. It's everything about this character. And it was it was a bizarre time. I basically said, yes, I'm doing this production because it was Klaus Michael Gruber who was mm -hmm. the director. And as I said, I was studying theater in school and Gruber, Chéreau, all these people, uh, Peter Stein, were mm -hmm. these high, yeah. amazing people I wanted to work with one day. So it, there was an opportunity and I said yes, but then it was a really hard time. And I think also Don Giovanni has, um, how do you say that, image d'épinal. It means as if there is only one way to be Don Giovanni. Uh -huh, yeah. Well, this is my point of view. I'm sure I'm wrong, but. <laughs> and then I decided, no, let's not fight with this mm -hmm. and just don't do it. So, but did you start rehearsing it? And, and yeah, yes, yeah. I, did, I did the show. And after the production, I thought it was a bad idea. Well, first, the Leporello I had also was, he maybe, it maybe was his 20th production of Don Giovanni as Leporello, so mm -hmm. he was he was the master on stage, yeah. basically. Well, um, you recently um, performed at George Benjamin's mm -hmm. opera, Lessons in Love and Violence. Um, is modern opera important to you? Yes, it is. I like it, there, there is a continuity. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe nowadays the, the production is a bit less than it was 100 years ago. Yeah. But still, it has to be alive. And I've been lucky because I've made four uh, new operas, George Benjamin, mm -hmm. two with uh, Philippe Boussemans, uh -huh. and one with uh, Benoit Mernier. And I've been lucky because these three composers 
really really are aware of the voices yeah. specificity yeah. and they're really right for the voices did 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 George write um, the part of the king for you yes and actually it was quite impressive I met him th four years ago went to his place and we've spent the afternoon singing talking and I've been singing some Pelias, some mm -hmm. songs and then he basically took the measurements of my voices made me do some exercises and I was very intimidated and also thinking excuse me I'm not in school anymore <laughs> and but he wanted me he wanted to know how basically how high I could go how low I could go and so had he heard <coughs> your voice yes or was it this that made him invite you to see whether you could sing this possible role in his new opera he told me he heard me in Peleas mm -hmm. a concert we did in um, in London with uh, Isapeka Salon and uh, yeah anyway he heard me at this concert and wanted to meet me and mm -hmm. see if there were a possibility That's very interesting. do you have any problems singing songs or operatic roles in translation there's quite a movement here in England in, in, in London for performing for example Winterreise mm -hmm. in, in English and someone called Jeremy Sams who you might know he he's actually done really good versions um, I as a Germanist don't really like to hear Lieder mm -hmm. in translation of course. but but I think it's actually quite a, a good idea it gets some people interested in the genre who otherwise might not be interested mm -hmm. have, have you ever sung opera or, or, or melody only in, once in we did uh, Albert Herring in, in Lyon in mm -hmm. French. And? And, well, I felt quite good. The translation mm. was, was good. It fit, fits the, the music and it was, it was a nice show. We had a lot of fun. But I don't know. You still have an opera here that makes everything yes, in English. Yes, we do. That's, that's English National Opera. Yes. And I'm thinking back in 19th century France, um, Schubert songs were popularized by, by the tenor Nourri, mm -hmm. Adolphe Nourri. Yep. And that perhaps was a good thing because a lot of French people who, who perhaps didn't warm to the German yes. language suddenly realized how wonderful these songs were. I have an old uh, score of Schumann in French, actually. Mm. So it's, it's a bit bizarre, but why not? I, I have a recording of Georges Thiel singing mm -hmm. uh, Le Roi des Aunes, yes. the Elkönig, yeah. and it's, I mean, it's odd, but, but, but I can sort of see the point. Mm -hmm. But this is something you would never do with... Um, in, in, in Why not? Song. Why not, seriously? I've never thought about it, actually. <laughs> um, let's turn to art song. Does it annoy you? in a concert hall if you look when, when you look into the auditorium and you see the audience bury its head in the program to see what the words are ah. or has that never bothered you or perhaps they never do perhaps they're elec electrified by your presence <laughs> on the stage I don't know no I it doesn't bother me because if I I understand that sometimes people don't get a phrase because the poet is very yeah. specific is very constructed in a mm -hmm. bizarre way yeah. and that we need some help of of the program reading the text 
I, I, I just wonder whether there's any future for surtitles. We I have them in opera mm -hmm. all over the world. Yes. Very, very few concert halls give surtitles. Mm. I think it could be <clears throat> a way forward because you can see the shape of the poem on the page. Mm -hmm. So if it was calligram, for example, yes. you would actually see il pleut, you know, the, 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 yeah, the raindrops mm. going down the page. And I think our response uh, to melody or um, leader is partially looking at the shape of the poem mm. on the page. But I'm, would this put you off if there were surtitles? I don't know, actually. There is a, a, a small recital festival in, somewhere in England where they do this. I can't remember where. It's uh, this pianist Gary Matthewman. Yes, that's right. He's often playing yeah. there, and I've seen some pictures with the subtitle yeah. above the piano, which is, which is good. But also, I think it's good to have a program with the texts anyway, so, the, so people I. can take it home and yeah. look and at it look later. At, look at afterwards. Talking about. Um, programs and program planning. You, I think, are a, a gourmet, a gastronome, yes. a cook. <laughs> I've been doing a bit of homework. Um, do you see a connection bet between um, making a menu, a balanced <laughs> yes. menu, and um, making choices for a balanced uh, leader or melody recital? Yes, definitely. Of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I, I also like good wines and uh, so do I. <laughs> it happened a few times that I bought an amazing wine and thought of what I should cook for this wine what, specifically. What was the wine? It was uh, Chateau Ikem. What year? Uh, oh, I can't remember, uh, 90 something. Well, anyway, yeah. so I've, I read in, informations about this Chateau Ikem and I asked some, some people what I should cook with this, and one said, "Pate de foie gras." No, no, no. They said um, pineapple. Just don't make any dessert. Just make really? open pineapple. Yes, odd. and uh, an old comté cheese. Mm -hmm. So okay, and actually, it was magical. Really, that's very interesting. <laughs> I would never have thought of pineapple, <laughs> but try because it's quite so sharp. Mm -hmm. But yes, but but with the comté, I can see. <clears throat> and uh, and yes, when we build a, a, a songs program, of course. That uh, the program we are doing now, mm -hmm. uh, we, we made it a few months ago, last mm. summer maybe, and Alain Planès, the pianist, said, anything you want, but I want to play Duparc and Chabrier. Mm. So, okay, fine, we'll, I put some Chabrier and Duparc in the program. And then what should I put with this? What would fit in what order? And it's always, always good. We try, it's like tasting when we're cooking. <laughs> and. Um, are many of your recitals themed? In other words, do, do you um, think of a theme, um, for ah. example, death, or, mm -hmm. and build a, a programme around that? Or do you just choose songs that, that work well together? It depends. Sometimes I have an idea in mind, a main idea, and sometimes something comes out of a, a group of songs, like yeah. the Fauré group we have. Uh, I've just, I basically made songs I really like and new yeah. songs I never sung before but I wanted to put in the program yeah. together and then I said this is interesting it, we are basically at the, at the sea mm -hmm. in Les Berceaux watching some yes. some boats yeah. leaving and then these two persons sitting at the sea mm -hmm. and just dreaming together yeah. and uh, 
And it has, of course, connection with the Les Fêtes Galantes, the Verlaine, and it always comes, something always comes anyway. Yeah. You mentioned Les Berceaux, this wonderful uh, forêt song with a huge um, range in it. How, how do you keep fresh, Stéphane? You must have performed Les Berceaux hundred times? Actually not, it was the first time we've put this it? in the programme. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's then, only five. But let's take a, um, a song like Claire de Lune mm. that you've sung, I don't know how many times. How do you keep spontaneous and fresh when you're there on the stage and you're singing it yet again? Is it always different? Yes and no. It's. I think in this programme the, f the, the song I know for about 20 years are the, the Debussy, uh, the first three, Verlaine, La mer est plus belle que les cathédrales, Le son du corps s'afflige, et mm. L'échelonnement des haies. And what is refreshing every time is working with different pianists. I was going to ask Because they, they always bring something new and unexpected sometimes. So Alain Planet is, is, is he your regular partner on the stage? or do No. But for a few years, I work with uh, Simon Lepper quite, uh -huh. quite a lot, uh, Alain Planès and Cédric Tibergien. So I have basically three different partners. And all three bring yeah. something very different and very new all the time. Because Alain is not, he's more a solo pianist than yeah. accompanist. Simon is, of course, used to work with a lot of different singers. Yeah. And he has a specific ability to read the text, maybe he's more in the text than in the music. And Alain is the opposite, he's That's completely so more in the yeah. music. And sometimes it just, we would go against each other a little bit because there is something very specific in the music which is not in the text. Yeah. And my line has a legato a bit different than the legato in the music. And it's good to, to sometimes forget a bit uh, yeah. text and stuff. But, but what happens if, I mean, you, you mentioned Claire de Lune. Um, uh, Claire Croissat used to talk about Fauré's fondness for fast tempi. Mm -hmm. Supposing you want to do it fairly fast and Alain or another pianist says, no, you know, I hear it completely differently. How do you come to a synthesis? Or do you argue? <laughs> do you fight? No, we don't fight or argue. But uh, actually, Fauré is he's quite specific because when he indicates a tempo, yeah, it's the exactly right tempo we should do because it works perfectly. But you take something like Green. I think his tempo that is crotchet sixty nine. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Marguerite Long famously. Um, said that he he wanted une vive allure, I mm -hmm. think, and it uh, it was quite fast and altante, I think, sort of yes. pantingly, mm -hmm. and yet it's only marked. I mean, yeah, but maybe uh, time was different one hundred years ago. Yeah, <laughs> and when we think fast nowadays, much faster than yeah. what it was before. I don't know. I had this. Um, talking with uh, Cédric Tibergien two years ago when we made this uh, Poulenc group. Because Poulenc basically said, you must do the tempo I indicate, exactly mm -hmm. respect it. But next to it, when he was playing his own, yeah. own music, it was just, 
he never respected himself. So I said, okay, if you don't respect yourself, I do what I want with your songs. <laughs> but I think that's really important for a singer. Okay, a singer, it's good and right that he should look at the markings that, that the composer gives. Mm -hmm. But if you see the poem, if you hear the poem it, in a different, if you interpret the poem yes. in a rather different way, I'm thinking of something like Der Musensohn, which is ziemlich geschwind, I think, mm -hmm. you know, fairly fast. To me, it's actually quite a sad poem, particularly at the end. You know, I see <laughs> Schubert looking, mm. looking for love. Wann ruhig ihr am Busen ach endlich wieder aus? And yet it's all, all so often sung so fast. Are, are you, as a singer, at liberty to change markings like that if you feel a song differently? I would, yes, actually. Yeah. Mm. And also the question of the songs that are marked very slow, mm. it seems to me there's no point in performing them very slow yes. if, if you can't do it technically. And you can, by going faster, you can actually give the same impression of mm. serenity or whatever. Yes, completely. I was on my scores, like the, the Debussy we're talking about. When I started 20 years ago to sing them, we basically made a fast tempo because I didn't have enough breathing to go until the end of a phrase. And yeah. we adapted the way we were doing the songs at that time to my possibilities. Yeah. And now I'm able to have more uh, longer and bigger breath. And so it gives more liberty to choose something. Yeah. And um, actually, uh, <clears throat> this uh, recital we are doing at the moment, yesterday was number five. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I can feel from uh, an evening to another that we are just taking more time or being faster depends yeah. on so many different things. And yesterday, uh, there were some parts that Alain started slower. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, let's do it slower and see. And it gives us something else at the moment. Yep. And it's good to just enjoy the moment also. Yeah. Um, Debussy figured quite largely in last night's uh, recital. Is he for you the, how should we put it, the greatest of all melody composers? Or is this a silly question? <laughs> no, it's not a silly question. But I can't say there is only one big right. master. There are several. Fauré is one, and uh, they all are. They all brought something completely new and different. Debussy maybe is was more in this symbolism movement with working directly with the poets. Like yeah. he was in his group of friends, there were Stéphane Mallarmé, Pierre-Louis, yeah. and uh, Paul Valéry, all these people. And they had this will to make something new, transform. Yeah. Um, <coughs> Debussy, for me, is one of the greatest of the melody composers, um, partly because of the texts he chooses um, and, and, and the way he composes a melody to those mm. texts. How do you cope with the uh, prose lyrique um, when he wrote his own yes. text? It's, it's wonderful music, but I sometimes have a problem with with his own text. Yeah, me too. I don't know them actually. And the last song he wrote, like Le Noël des enfants qui yeah. n'ont plus de maison, 
something a bit bizarre because well it was the war it was yeah. and it's really against uh, German basically yeah. yeah Berlioz also wrote some yes. his own texts in Les Troyens in, in some songs yeah. too and Mussorgsky of course mm. and, and Wagner yes and I wonder whether Debussy in the prose lyrique was actually influenced by things like the the Serge Chaud yes, or, was, or, 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 mm. or, or or the Wesendonglied, this sort of fantasiac mm. atmosphere. Yeah, you can feel the there is something about symbolism poetry that he he tried to do but obviously didn't work quite well yeah. as 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 well as his friends Malarmé and the, and other people. But they were he also was a good good a close friend of uh, Ernest Chausson and uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how much they worked together or if they they were showing each other their, their work as they were doing the, mm -hmm. the compositions or not because there are famous pictures where in like Chausson and Debussy playing on the piano all together the, so they were close and they probably were talking a lot about their own works and yeah English singers tend to find French quite difficult to sing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it, partly I think it's the vowels. Um, and I think French singers find German difficult to sing. You seem to have no problem at all in it. I mean, as a reductio ad absurdum, some French singers mm. would, would they reitet so spät durch Nacht und Winde, es ist der Vater mit seinen Kindern. In, in this sort of unstressed, um, French accent. Mm. How come that your German has become so good? I don't know. <laughs> no, actually, Ruben was uh, first language was German. His first language right. was German. He was a l in love with languages. Anyway, mm. he spoke about five, six different languages fluently, and uh, his teaching was also based on telling the text in any language as close as it would be from yeah. a, a native person. Yeah. And uh, we've worked so much only on pronunciation, German, French, anything. Yeah. And also I, I also have the curiosity and the, the will to do it as well as I can. But if, if actually if British singers find uh, French difficult, as I, as a French singer, find English difficult to sing. Really? Like in lessons last year. Uh, okay. But thank God we had a, a language coach and he was helping me a lot. But there were so tiny, tiny things yeah. that I wouldn't even hear when he was saying this and say, again, again? No, I can't. Yes. There is a difference. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever sung um, English song? Uh, yes, long time ago, some Vaughan Williams. Yeah. Um, not much actually, but I'm I'm thinking of another program for next year, mm -hmm. connected to uh, English repertoire because it's a specific venue where they want they want it. Mm -hmm. They asked me, and uh, I might be a bit naughty and sing some. Frédéric Delius Verlaine in French. Oh, well, in French, <laughs> yes. 
um, le ciel au-dessus uh, du toit. Yes, exactly. Si He wrote four or five different songs. Yeah. I didn't, that's not naughty, that's rather nice. <laughs> <laughs> When you build a program, Stefan, is it important to you to, to feature um, poets of real pedigree? I mean, there are some great songs that are set, I think of quite a lot of Schubert, not to very great texts, mm -hmm. but the, these were his friends and he had a capacity for friendship. But they're not bad texts. I'm mm -hmm. thinking of like Meyerhofer, who actually I think is rather good. But um, do you find it important to, to include great poetry in your recitals? Or could it be all Sylvestre, mm -hmm. for example? Yes, well, for a had this ability to to make uh, a not very interesting poet alive because of yeah. his music and uh, yeah there are some poets that we wouldn't know the name today if yeah. they were not put in music by yeah. s by these composers i like both actually because uh, if you take like the la chanson pour jeanne chabrier he mm -hmm. ephraim michael who is this yes, guy yes who is this guy and but the, the song is beautiful And the text is touching, but the poetry is not very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then next to it, you put Verlaine, and mm -hmm. it gives another dimension to something. There's something yeah. very specific. And Verlaine f has been put in music a lot, actually. His Fête Galante is almost every... Absolutely. Debussy, Fauré, a lot of different... Yeah. And there is... I don't know if it's true, but still, it's quite interesting. Fauré asked Verlaine if he could put in music one of some poems of mm. him of his mm. and Verlaine answered why do you want to put some music on my music yes so actually it's true because Verlaine already has some musicality in his poetry yeah. in his words that, so has Mallarmé yeah. or different that's like interesting that. because exactly the same happened with Jules Renard mm -hmm. and Ravel yes Jules Renard with, hated with, it. With uh, Histoire Naturelle, he said, why do you want to set mm. my yes. words to music? And eventually hated it. <laughs> It's interesting. I mean, Renard, um, Renard is such a wonderful writer, but I don't think he was perhaps very musical in the journal. There's very little mm. mention of music. But those poems are extraordinary. But the Histoire Naturelle is in, in his poem in, in prose. It's not... Uh, yeah. And Ravel took this... Well, because he probably loved these little stories, but mm -hmm. as it's prose, you say that? Yes, yeah, prose, prose. Yeah. You don't have to think of a specific rhythm yeah. in the word and in the music. Mm -hmm. And Ravel went into something very, he went very far into a new try of uh, yeah. writing for, for voice. Yes. Very close to the speaking language. Are, are there any, Um, great works in either the French or the German or Russian repertoire that most people say are great but you have problems with. I, I for example have a little problem with La Bonne Chanson partly because of the poems that too respectable too sort of moral. Are there any works? That's funny they... you mentioned this because we, we will put this in the program next year <laughs> with Simon. It's a common will actually we said okay let's do yeah. it. And it's a bit, uh, Verlaine wrote this La Bonne Chanson when basically he was in, totally in love with the woman he married, actually. Mm. And it's a bit uh, premier degré, yeah. how do you say that? 
if you have something in English. No. Yes, I'm not sure what we say for that. It's um, it's very naive. It's very naive. It's you very have simplistic. to take it as it is. Yeah. And but why not? Because I like it sometimes. Just tell the text, enjoy it. Don't think. <laughs> Don't think too much. But then Verlin quickly turns to something more intellectual and yes, and, and more perhaps imaginative. Mm. More, yeah. Stefan, have you any plans to return to London in the near future? I come back next month for Faust at the Royal Opera House. And, uh, well, yes, back here in Wigmore. When are you next at the Wigmore? In in one year, oh. with Simon and with La Bonne Chanson. And with La Bonne Chanson. <laughs> I really look forward to that. And it's been a great pleasure talking Thank you. to you. Thank you, Thank very, you very much. much.